This is Future Sight, a show from Capgemini Invent. I'm Liz Lunier. On this show, we explore new ways for you to adapt and grow for the future in business. On this week's episode, we're discussing the future of the circular economy. We've seen a shift in recent years towards more eco-friendly practices in all areas of industry, but circularity is the true goal for any sustainable business. But what does true circularity entail? And how can it be good for both the environment and your business? Joining me today to explore this are experts from here at Capgemini. Hi, everyone. I'm Courtney Holm, VP of Sustainability Solutions for Capgemini Invent UK. Hello, everyone. I'm Lindsay Mazza. I am Capgemini Group's Global Retail Lead, and I'm responsible for helping to develop our practices that make Capgemini more sustainable and can support our clients in their sustainability journeys. And from Circular Economy Leader Interface... I'm John Koo from a company called Interface. We're a flooring manufacturer. So let's get right into unpacking the issues. John, how can we define what the circular economy is? It's a cracking question and a big question. And I think I'll start with this. You'll see that slogan at protests that always says there is no planet B. And to me, what that relates to in the circular economy is we do have one planet. We have finite resources and we can't waste it. And I guess on that, if you think about it, nature never does waste. Everything from one kingdom gets used by another until humans came along. How does circular economy apply in the retail industry? How would you define it for retail, Lindsay? There are so many things that are happening in retail in the circular economy. And I think the point is that consumers don't really necessarily have awareness of what's happening out there. And when we see things like a third of all food is wasted or 85% of textiles end up in a landfill the next year, these are things that really tell us that as an industry and as a group of consumers, John mentioned the world doesn't waste, but humans do. Humans really change that. Our awareness of what is becoming a more and more pressing and challenging issue has got to come to the forefront and our awareness will drive our industry in order to make changes. And so what I like the idea of seeing is our industry is becoming aware. You have companies like Patagonia at the forefront of selling uh, new product as well as selling used product from the same site. You have even charitable shops in countries like the Netherlands and the UK that are using circular economy in order to advertise what products they have available. And you're seeing on all fronts from luxury to all kinds of used goods be available to consumers. And so it's creating this environment where as a retail industry, we're able to find success in transitioning a consumer to buy something that may not be new or maybe through a a use of circular. And it's creating this opportunity that the more that consumers become aware and the more that they're able to uh, press their personal ethics for sustainable practices and consuming things that have been reused to the brands that manufacture new things that those marins will make changes as well. I really, I like where the industry is headed. I like the uh, idea that consumers are becoming more aware. And I think it's our job as an industry to educate consumers so that we can continue perpetuating the cycle of circular economy. Oh, that is absolutely fantastic, Lindsay. Courtney, what do you define circular economy as and how does that apply to some of the other industries outside of retail? So for me, circular economy harkens back to what John mentioned earlier is that in nature, we don't see waste. Humans have created waste as a construct. It is a very human construct. And I think controversially, I'll say that I think that humans need to change behavior 
around overconsumption. And I think that overconsumption is driving the issue around waste. And I think that laziness is also driving some of those non-circular activities which we see proliferate our society at the moment. So for me, if we think about what circular means, it's about closing the loop. It's about using those finite resources as as much as we possibly can until they're degraded to a point where they can no longer be purposefully reused and then finding a way to recycle them or incorporate them into a new waste stream or a a new stream. So that would be by melting down or or using them as a component part into something else, but keeping them intact as for as long as possible in their current form before they're transitioned into their raw material then reused in some way. Manufacturing, obviously, is an easier one there. I think that as we get into manufacturing, as we see with interface, I was only going to add to Courtney, I'm, I'm with you 100%, really closing that loop and keeping things in the cycle as long as possible. And then just adding to what you shared, regenerating natural system, really um, avoiding the use of non-renewable resources and then preserving those that we have. So whether we can support regeneration using renewable energy as opposed to relying on fossil fuels or return the nutrients that we've taken out back into soils and to the ground and other places. So really to complete that full life cycle of what a product is, design out waste and pollution, keep the products in use and then regenerate as Great. That's perfect, Lindsay. I think that's a great ad. Courtney, you just mentioned interfaces. John, why don't you talk to us about what interfaces is and the journey into the world of circular economy? So at Interface, we're a flooring manufacturer. We make carpet tile, luxury vinyl tile, and little rubber flooring. And our journey on circularity started back in the 1990s. And really, it's our journey on sustainability and circularity. When we started to hear a question from our customers, they were starting to ask us, What are you doing about the environment? And our late founder, Ray Anderson, was to discover that our successful carpet tile business that he'd built since the 1970s was a huge emitter of carbon emissions, but also that it was really wasteful. That at a factory level, at an installation level, and at an end-of-life level, there had been no thought. He'd learn that there is no way. And he set us on a mission to mitigate any negative impact we had. And a big part of that was tackling waste and starting to think about whether waste could be seen as an opportunity. For example, one way that you can turn waste into an opportunity is to think about using more recycled content in your products. Because if you use more recycled content coming from forms of waste, you can help turn off the tap to virgin oil. And if you can help turn off the tap to virgin oil, as well as being circular, look to you be more low carbon because you're turning off the tap to fossil fuels. So for us, what we've been doing for the last 27 years is looking at how we can incorporate more waste in our product. And then equally, we can make sure that they can be reused, repurposed or recycled back into being new product again. And the final point I'll make here is, as a manufacturer, you should be designing good quality products that are going to last a long time have a proper life. We have always positioned ourselves as manufacturing products can, that can last 10 or 15 years over time, not carpet towels that are just there for, for three years and then finding their way to land waste to energy. So I, whatever you make, I do feel you should be designing it to have a long and proper life as a product. I think that's fantastic. 
And you said that you've been doing this since the 1990s. How have ideas around the circular economy evolved since then? I think they've evolved a lot over time. One of the things we saw in the 1990s was people think about how could I reuse a waste material? But how it got reused wasn't always the most functional. Now, what I think about there is people would recycle clothing and cotton shirts into shoes, or they'd produce something that functionally wasn't so impressive. But this was important. It was important in the journey of of sustainability and the journey of circularity to learn that if you're going to have a circular solution and you're going to have impact in the market, it has to still meet the functional needs, the economic needs and the aesthetic needs of the market. So I think we've become much more sophisticated now in creating scaled circular solutions that are functional, that are aesthetically pleasing, and that are starting to have parity in relation to cost as well. And I think that is how you scale. So back in the 90s, it was uh, the innovative, disruptive times of seeing what could be different. Now we're starting to see those seeds grow into actual change. I couldn't agree more. I I think what we've seen as part of the journey that we've undergone in terms of being able to create sustainability within this industry, within consumer products and within retail, is that we've really made a move. And in the 90s, we saw companies come out and say, okay, we'll refill your shampoo bottle. We will refill your water bottle or your soda bottle or others. And you have to save your bottle. You have to wash it out. You have to bring it back. You have to have it at the store. There has to be a tank at the store in order to do it. It becomes an, a, a large onus on the consumer in order to make the functionality work in order to be sustainable. And we've seen so many changes to that in the functionality of the products and what's come to market in terms of being able to help support the consumer journey and being um, sustainable. We're seeing soap bars that are dry shampoo instead of having to refill an existing liquid package that are able to ship in a compact way to take less carbon footprint from the shipping. We're seeing reduced single-use plastic containers. So same idea, but some UK retailers like Tesco and Asda, they're They're trialing refill services that are not the traditional refill format where you bring your own bottle back, but the consumer doesn't have to bring in a package. It's a pre-filled container that's returned post-use and you still just buy the next one, but the same one comes back and is washed by the brand itself, washed in the store or washed by the brand in order to give it to you. So reusing those containers, but not putting the onus on the consumer in order to do that, I like as changing the functionality, bringing something that's both you know, aesthetic and functional back to the retailer to give to the consumer to make it something that consumer is easy and convenient so that consumers can be like Courtney, as you said, consumers can be a little bit lazy about doing it, but can still buy things that match their personal ethics and match their brand, their own brand ethos of saying, I want to do the right thing. Please make it easier for me to do. I think that's happening today. That's been a big change from the industry's push in order to bring things. John said, making a product that lasts and making one that's easy for the consumer to be able to identify with and to be able to use and that really works matters. I think that making sustainability convenient is so important in in the overall journey. Courtney, do you have anything to add? You know, just two things. I've been doing a lot of thinking recently about two, two topics. So the first is that how we start to envision the new version of quality to be equivalent to what's most sustainable. And the same with luxury as well. Like for me, 
a quality good and a luxurious good is one that's sustainable by design. And I also think that we need to get to a point where unsustainable products and formats are more expensive than those intrinsically sustainable in and of themselves. So for example, bar shampoo is not new. It's been around for decades. You can even make it at home. But anyway, but so bar shampoo should be less expensive because plastic is quite an expensive way to move shampoo around. So for me, those two things are quite important for us to get to in the next iteration of how we deliver products and services, thinking about ways of selling sustainability as the best quality, the most luxurious and the most affordable option. Quite well taken, Courtney. Consumers need to know consumers need to know they exist and be willing to use them and find them to be easy in order for them to exist out there. I think one interesting point for Court, from Courtney and Lindsay there is there's an interesting generational thing that happens here. A lot of people of an older generation, when you talk about the circular economy or reusing milk bottle or using bar soap, we'll just say, well, that's just common sense. Whereas we sometimes want to put a terminology on it. Someone who's studying it at a business school or university will probably come with a technical term like the circular economy. And maybe there's something to explore there in terms of how we connect and we talk about circularity, that it might mean slightly, there might be different ways to explain it for different people. Because with the plastic packaging side, especially as Lindsay was say, saying, with groups like Tesco's working with Loop and looking to have reusable packaging, it's really interesting to see people's responses, that people are looking back to say, we had some of these lessons in the past, but we just chose to go a different route. We chose to go a more wasteful route because it seemed cheap. It seemed convenient. But now we better understand, we better understand the impact of what we've chosen. Then we're self-correcting in relation to that. I guess I'm calling myself old, but I remember the milkman coming around. I do. We even had a box on the front porch. Didn't have to do anything. They're having a renaissance within the UK at them for the last couple of years. I'm younger, but I grew up in the middle of nowhere. So we actually did have the milk bottles too. But when I was a kid, I, we also had the Coke bottles that you could return and have filled in too. And I remember those as well. My dad always had lots of glass Coke bottles. Let's talk a little bit about how does circularity differ from other sustainability strategies? So for me, circularity is requires um, it requires a systemic change in how we conceive of, create, sell, use, and return products back into the cycle. So for me, it is, it is when we talk about regenerative, and it's another one of those buzzwords, John, for me, regenerative and circularity really go hand in a way that the blanket term sustainability does not. So sustainability can mean lots of things to lots of different people. But for me, circularity can really only be one thing, that we're designing out waste and we're making sure that whatever you're, you're putting out comes back through. And for me, that also ties in very closely with regenerative principles. And because if something is truly circular, most often than not, it, it should be regenerative as well. Excellent. What kind of challenges do businesses face when they try to implement circular strategies? Lindsay, why don't we start with you there? I, I think it's about the consumer. Courtney and John have really talked about this idea of it has to be convenient. It has to, it, it has to be at a similar price point that a consumer is able to make the switch to do something that's better. And it has to match the personals, the personal brand ethics of that consumer as well. So part of it is raising awareness as an industry of 
what the things that we do impact and what the downstream implications are and how regenerative is more supportive of our future environment. And it's capitalizing on these ideas that there are advocates out there that can help support it. And John talked about generational, but using the influencers that exist out there in order to share what's available, what you can do, and help bring awareness of the consumer to the fact that packaging is responsible for 50% of the global waste that's created annually. Now, electronic waste is very rarely properly recycled and so therefore is not regenerative. Right. This idea of all the things that we buy today being able to be recyclable and become circular is new to a lot of consumers. So a lot of the base of consumers that are shopping out and it's creating partnerships that become convenient for consumers to really look at. That's going to make the big change. When I see Unilever partner with Too Good To Go, it's an app that allows consumers to know where there's reduced prices on food products that are going out of date. They can map where they are and then go and purchase them at a, as a result, like that's creating using technology, using the tools that consumers have come to expect in order to do something that makes it better for everybody, lower costs to the consumer, a, you know, the use and, you know, reuse of things that would have gone out of date or wouldn't have been available otherwise, or wouldn't have been sold otherwise, reducing that you know, idea that a third of all food that's produced is wasted and really bringing new value to the consumer as a result. I think that's the future of what circular looks like for us is creating that connection point to the consumer that says it's it's not as expensive. It's not expensive. It's not too far out of your way to do. It's not a big deal. Like these are the things and this really matters when you make a difference, when you do these things, that's going to create the future for us. John, what kind of what kind of challenges did interfaces face when trying to implement sustain this circular sustainability? I think for us um, and for everyone, the biggest challenge is that a linear economy of take, make, and waste remains ingrained, and it's also too easy to default to. So for us, say if we went back fifteen years, and we're talking about using more recycled material. We're talking about using fishing nets as a source for nylon for the soft part of our carpet. People would look at us and go, oh, that's a lovely story. That's, that seems like a nice thing to do. They weren't necessarily grasping that the key issue was stopping waste from being waste and turning it into being an opportunity. Those in the bubble of sustainability or the bubble of a regenerative economy or circular economy, they understood. But getting that message to the person in procurement or the person who's a finance director signing off that expense, that, that was much more difficult to communicate and have that discussion. Now, I think things are changing and they're changing fast. But in terms of the historic challenge, it was so easy for people to go, what's the cost of waste versus what's the cost of using interface? Oh, on the take back side, the cost waste less let's just stick been doing for the last 30 or 40 years and the status quo so the big challenge there for us is challenging that mentality proving that the circular economy works proving the value within taking more circular approach and getting the legislation and regulation in different parts of the world to follow to put a proper value on waste and make people realize that you can't just pay 
your way to make things go away. There is no way. John, you talk about linear, and I think you're so right. Uh, this this whole conversation around the there is no more traditional linear, right? So even in the world of supply chain, it's the full value network that we're getting. It's talking about it's the consumer. It's a whole range of consumers and different demands from different groups and you know different groups' propensity to buy based on different attributes of the products. And really understanding what that network looks like, and then the network of retailers that maybe sell that all sell the same product that came from one CPG and the CPG network back to the suppliers where they're getting things and really putting the whole group together in one value network versus a value chain or it's nonlinear. It's really now this ecosystem of partners that have to be responsible. And I love this idea that the more that we create awareness out there, like the more that we improve from the CPG side of the manufacturing side, and the more awareness that we put out there in terms of marketing, what is available, what can be done, puts the consumer with more education and knowledge. And as the consumer becomes more educated and knowledge, they push that squeeze back upstream that sort of, you know, means that the procurement team, like means it has to get, they, the retailers have to write it into the RFP, as we've talked about, write it in to say, this is what has to happen so that procurement doesn't have a choice in that. And the procurement's more aware of the implications that it it matters to the consumer's propensity to buy because I think that is the ultimate impetus for how we squeeze both sides to create change in that fold. I think what Interface and Patagonia, what they do very well and what's really appealing about those two brands to me is that they include the end user in that regenerative cycle or that closed loop cycle so that they become part of that value chain in a way that they don't in the linear model. So that there's a, a bit of accountability. Like you just can't with any good conscious chuck a Patagonia jacket that has a hole in it in the trash anymore. You just can't because you can send it right back to them and they'll even pay for it. I, you know, and it's, and I think that we need to help consumers feel like they're a part of the circular economy. And I think that's what's missing now. And I'm hoping that initiatives like loop and and the and TerraCycle, i think that they need to scale I mean, right now they're really still very small and the way that they'll be able to do that is if they make consumers feel good about being a part of that process the interesting thing for interface was our kind of circularity story died because our customers were asking what are you doing for the environment because they were probably thinking what are you doing to tackle waste and same with patagonia people i know there it's their customer base is passion and willingness to keep themselves accountable and keep other brands accountable that that has fueled their fire around circularity. So maybe there's something here about making sure that consumers or purchasers feel empowered that they can make a difference. I think you're so right. Even when I see IKEA, they had faced a lot of consumer backlash on the disposability of products and they immediately came forward almost before the backlash became uh, loud. They came forward and said, OK, we are going to recycle furniture. That was something that was unheard of in that industry. They really changed the way that industry brought new products to market by saying you can return to the same facility that you buy from. You can return the existing products like we don't want to see it in urban environments out on the street being ready for for trash. Like These are products that are available to be reused and we'll take it back from you and give you a credit for the new purchases. I think it creates that that environment where consumers feel like an obligation to be able to help support that 
and they can feel good about doing. What kind of factors can influence customers to transition to being consumers, the traditional sense to being sustainable users? And how can businesses encourage this? Courtney, you want to take a stab? Yeah, I think they have to make it easy. So number one, I think they have to make it easy. Easy to, and what I like about Interface is that because they sell the the carpet and tiles, it's easy to pick up a tile that has a stain on it and take it and then get another one and put it back. With Ikea, it's easy to take that table or that bookshelf, take, break it down, take it back to where you bought it and get. And then I think it's also it's about being paid for it as well, because that's important because it's not a waste stream anymore. It's part of the, the next value proposition of whatever that thing is going to be turned into. How do you feel, John? I'd agree. I think for us, with our customers, one of the most interesting discussions we have sometimes now is designing for reuse. That when someone's designing a new office, our most progressive customers are thinking, right, how can we work with your designers and make sure that we can use what reuse one third or two thirds of this either on our own premises or through our work with social enterprises, for SMEs and charities and social housing. So I think for us, to Courtney's point about providing value, we are having some fascinating discussions at the moment, whereby when we look at circular solutions at end of life, we're working with our customers to help them have better value and hopefully give them an opportunity to to purchase more of our products in the future, but have more design options available because they've been able to reuse some of the stock they used before. And so it's, that's like and circular solutions midlife, John. Hopefully. Well, John, can you give some examples of how you've implemented some of these end-of-life and midlife things? Yeah, for us, often the more progressive companies are saying when they buy a new product on the specification, they're saying, do you offer a service to take your products back at the end of life? And we do. So what we will do is we will offer um, to take products back, to look to reuse them with social enterprises, which also gives us an opportunity, a social impact by helping build capacity in the market for secondary goods because that's another area that is still nascent it's still new and it needs to to scale but also we can also look at recycling our product back into being new products and also looking at inventive ways to repurpose because one of the challenges we have is we operate globally and we don't really want to be shipping all of our old tiles back to one or two or three manufacturing sites to to recycle them into some perfect circle if we can have a better impact for the environment and for the community by promoting reuse by promoting alternative forms of repurpose or localized recycling we haven't done this yet but it's something we would what if the waste from our product could be recycled into something completely different i'm a big fan of saying if you have a waste material it should have not one destination but three or four different destinations where it can be a feedstock for other things. And that's something I think we need to work on to make the circular economy more systemic. And it will also help foster a lot of collaboration, a lot of innovation. And that, to me, would be a good move forward. Lindsay, how do you feel? I'm shaking my head here to John's speech because I love this idea of being able to create full networks of the products as well, where you can recycle one thing into not only the same company that you bought it from, but into the next thing down the stream. And what I was picturing in my head was the Olympic circles of bringing all countries together, this idea of bringing products together and creating the network in that way. I've got an example for you. The example I'd use if we go from end of life to the start of life and, and both together is 
we've been involved in an initiative called Next Wave Plastic, which is a cross-sectoral initiative that has everyone from HP to Dell to bikes by Trek, furniture by Herman Miller and Human Scale, IKEA also remember, so a whole gamut of different industries, all looking at how they can incorporate ocean-bound plastic, divert it away from ending up in our ocean and find a way to put it into products from bikes to desks to floor tiles to clothes to computer packaging to computers themselves to televisions this idea that you could take if you take ocean-bound plastic which is normally nylon pet the more difficult things to deal with hdpe and ldpe or those high and low density polyethylenes but know that Wherever you click from, there could be three, four, or five different destinations. That, to me, is, as you were saying, Lindsay, the, the progression that we're looking at. I guess that's a move from the circular economy being a, a pet project by a couple of companies to a fully networked, scalable, impactful global solution. And we're not there yet. I think I'd love to hear from Lindsay and Courtney on their thoughts on it, but we're starting to get traction towards that direction. Towards that end. Now, for me, this is where it gets really exciting because then you start to think about the platforms associated with helping build that network and that circular thinking at industry scale. We don't think about our individual value chains anymore associated with one product, but you think about how that value chain interacts with countless other value chains. There's one great example that I love. And a couple of years ago, no, it's more than a couple, it's about 12 years ago, I was sat at a two degrees event. I was working for two degrees at the time and I had Typhoo tea on one side of me and I had someone from Kingfisher on the other side of me and Typhoo was saying that they had all this tea wastage from the tea bags and they didn't know what to do with it and it was so much of it and I and then the B&Q guys were talking about getting rid of plastic for little seedlings and I said wait a second why can't you make why can't you turn the tea bags into where the potted plants are and they started a beautiful relationship that went on for a long time so I think it's just about having that collaborative conversation that says, wait, I have a waste stream over here. Who needs something and what could it be repurposed from? And I think that kind of collaboration and networking is required for sure. How can businesses outside of the production and manufacturing industry implement circularity? You can also think about services as well. Like services to support this economy are really important. So let's think about, for example, mobility as a service. Thinking about circularity when it comes to how you get one from one place to another is something that's critical as well for sustainable development that we need to tackle. And I think soon we'll start thinking about not having personal vehicles. I, I know, in Lindsay, in the U.S., that's probably a hard pill to swallow. A little bit easier here in Europe, where it's, it's easier to get around on a public transport and via bike. But I think we'll have to start to rethink, quite pivotally, rethink how we pull our societies together, how we get from one place to another, and build circularity into everything that we do, not just from a product perspective, because we don't want to continue to drive consumerism up either. We have to reduce consumerism. So we have to think differently about all sorts of systems. I got that. I got that. One of the big things that people always say about, about circularity and, and sustainability in general is it's expensive. How can circularity benefit businesses in a financial sense? And how can these benefits be positive in the long run? I really like the idea of considering the supply network as part of this as well, because the idea of being able to ship products in a way that is sustainable and really offer consumer choice. What we've seen in our 
industry is this ramp up from in from we talked about in the 90s from in the 90s saying hey listen it's a seven to 11 days and you get your product as long as it was a committed window that you knew when it would come during you felt secure that you were going to get your product so you're as years passing this hockey stick curve where we went from that seven to 11 days to five to seven days to three to five days to two days to one day to two hours to one hour to 30 minutes to 10 minutes in many different sub-segments of our industry of when you're going to receive product. And I think this idea of really understanding and having an awareness of exactly where the inventory exists and where we're going to be able to create demand for it and have consumers demand that item and having the, the inventory sent there the first time and then really making use of reverse logistics as well in order to accomplish not only the sale, but the bring back of anything from a circular perspective and really creating that full life cycle around the logistics space is a cost reducer. I like the idea of talking about these as not only cost out areas of the business, but as um, areas that create a consumer experience. So this move from get something in two days to get something in one day to all of a sudden 10 or 30 minutes or 10 minutes in different parts of the world is the new consumer expectation. It's changed feature of supply chain from being a business operations component to a consumer experience itself and creating this environment where we're reducing carbon and we know where the inventory is, really plan about it. We're able to use data in order to sense where that's going to be. Takes cost out of the business at the same time as doing the right thing for the world by moving products less times and having to touch them less and put them in less places. I like the idea of talking about things that traditionally cost out operational as consumer experiences that now drive new consumer demand that you're able to create a a better offering for the consumer and allow them to participate in this circular at the same time. We don't always have to think about things as being only good for one purpose. I like I love this bring two purposes together, take cost out, do the right thing, and you get a, a good result that consumers value and it creates influence and a better experience. Time that time crunch thing is interesting. So when I first moved here eleven years ago, one of the first things I did was I went looking for a sofa. And I coming up in the US, you go to the store, you pick out a sofa, and usually it can be at your house within four or five hours. I had to wait four weeks for my sofa in the UK. I sat on the floor on cushions for 14 weeks. And I think that fundamental shift in thinking from have to have it right now to being patient and really thinking about what you actually need is very important mental shift that we all need to make. And I think once things take longer, we will be more thoughtful about what we think we need. And I think that also needs to fit into this conversation around circularity as well. I think that's absolutely true. I would segment our industry because there are clearly areas like food and household essentials that are more imminently needed. And you could be less planful, although you can plan, of course, you could be less planful about than, for instance, housewares and home goods and electronics and things like that. So I like the idea of, of breaking apart the industry into many sub-segments and deciding what is the point that we can accept the window of time for what we need things for different different components. Sorry. 
What about you, John? What do you feel as far as can circularity benefit businesses in a financial sense? How did it benefit interfaces? So here's a controversial idea. It will be interesting for the, the listeners. I've been really impressed by the steps that the financial industry, the banking industry has taken on green finance. Like the announcements at COP26, although not perfect, and we're heading in the right direction. As a subset of that, I'm curious to know, you know what is the role of the financial industry in building circular finance or promoting more resource regenerative finance? And for us at Interface, we've always benefited from circularity being a USP, something that our customers are interested in, something that's held helped us build our brand and more people know about us. It's been a really useful entry point when people wanted to learn about Interface and they wanted to learn about what we're doing around the environment. But it has to be so much more than that. I think now that if you are investing in a business that is not thinking about circularity, it's not going to work out in the long run. They're not going to be responsive to the market. The products are likely to be hit, especially within a European context, by extended producer responsibility regulations, more regulations that require manufacturers to build stuff that lasts, build stuff that can be repaired, to build stuff that can be taken back and turned into new products and materials at end of life. I haven't quite got the vocabulary for it, but in terms of there is an equivalent when you talk about investment and stranded assets to non-circular assets that you wouldn't want to be investing in. Now, I have to admit, not having had that many discussions with the finance community about that, they love at the moment talking around carbon. I can happily have a 45-minute chat around the pros and cons of science-based targets for investment. But what would a circularity spin on that look like? And what role could the investment community, which I guess is far removed from the consumer in some ways, but they they have a voice. They have an ability to make a change. And they are starting to think about it, John. I've had quite a few conversations in the last few weeks, especially post-COP. Someone's made this commitment, now we're about it type thing. But also, I think that there's a lot of sense of creativity when it comes to how they're going to start adding new uh, solutions to their own portfolios and thinking about how they service communities. We're hearing a lot about community-based innovation, banks being supportive to the local communities, and then also on the financing side, how are they assuring that where they're putting their investments are for the greater good? And then also meeting the commitments that they're making, especially around coal and deforestation, as we saw in COP. I think we're going to start to see an advent of creativity around financing in the next quarter. I'm really excited to see if we have a global carbon price that reemerges that we that we saw back in the day in 2007. I wonder if that emerges. That would be very good for us. And within that, you like waste would be a component that you would measure and that you would see. So I think they don't have to be separate. They just have to kind of live together. It seems like it's almost that we need it to be convenient for companies to be sustainable, just like we have to make it convenient for consumers to buy sustainable products. If it's more convenient for a company to do it because of the regulations, there's a much higher likelihood of them actually being more sustainable. We we know a lot has come out of COP26 and everything else. And if we're moving towards a much more sustainable future, hopefully, what does the future of circular economy look like? John, do you want to take a first crack at that? Yeah, I think 
it's about fra- framing it as an opportunity. I think if you're uh, for our suppliers, the way I position circularity is if you can give me materials that have a high level of bio-based content or recycled content, it can make sure it can be recycled again at the end of life or that it's supporting the reuse of our products. I'm more likely to put you in our products today and our products tomorrow. But as a manufacturer, I also feel that we're responsible to engage with our consumers and go, be more demanding of us. Demand higher levels of recycled content. You know, talk to us about the difference between recyclable and recycled. For example, I would say that recyclable is a promise. Recycled is a fact. But I would not also say that one's more important than the other. Both are absolutely essential. But yeah, to me, for any kind of business now, having those dialogues and showing the opportunity that lies behind a more circular, more regenerative approach is absolutely key. And I think it's reasonably easy to persuade your finance director <laughs> and it should be easy for you to show your investors too because those businesses that have got their head around what circularity means for them, who've got a strategy and are putting it into their products and services right now are the ones that are probably already profiting And honestly, in the future, they're making themselves much more resilient to a world where resources are becoming more scarce for certain materials. And I think we're running out of roadway too. Like the commitments are from the major consumer packaged goods companies. All of the commitments are carbon neutral and full net zero by 2030. So there's very few years left between now when the commitments have taken place or when they've put commitments out there that they're going to get to certain milestones. And so now is the time. So when Courtney said she thinks we're going to see things in the next quarter, I think she's absolutely right. This is the time. This is the year we're going to see major changes start taking place. And the more that we have regulations in some countries that support that pour over into other areas or the more that we have consumers demand or the more that we have suppliers make commitments to these things, then the better off we're going to be. I'm also curious to see the difference between post-COP26 I'm expecting to see plenty of disruptors and entrepreneurs, but also companies willing to do that at scale. And that's what's going to be most excited. If you can, instead of being scared by the disruptors, if you can learn from them, pivot your business or collaborate with them, that's where those solutions are going to. We're seeing more and more collaboration. And I'm pleased that the results that we're seeing are how do we collaborate with disruptors? So I would say five years ago, we saw consumer products companies say, I'm feeling the squeeze between the tech disruptors that are out there that are coming in with lower prices and the the niche producers that are coming in with some of the more sustainable and more uh, consumer experience driven brands. And now we're seeing a large amount of that collaboration where they said, okay, first we try to acquire, then we try to collaborate. And we're in that collaboration cycle now where it says, let's all do the right thing. On behalf of everybody, let's take advantage of these practices. Well, it's even interesting because you even have companies that are normally competitors coming together too. Like back in September when the Cosmetics Consortium got together to talk about co-designing environmental impact assessment and scoring systems. You have Unilever and Henkel and L'Oreal and LVMH all coming together to... The majority of those initiatives, though, are being driven by legislation, though. Right. So the industry has to come together when they need to influence and shape how the government are going to put regulation on top of them based on the reality of how supply chains work, how businesses function and where the government doesn't necessarily have that level of expertise to really understand how global 
food and or product manufacturing works. So I think we'll see the importance of politics coming into play is going to be very pivotal in the next year or so. I think politics are very important. From a more positive sense, I feel like there are companies that are coming to say we're going to do the right thing here. So I know that the regulations are stronger in France and stronger throughout Europe. But I look at them and say we have companies from all over the world, like the Canadian grocer coming to Consumer Goods Forum saying, I want all the clamshell packages for my produce to be the same so that we can reduce this dependency on plastic. Not a government requirement. That's them coming saying, I want to do the right thing. And maybe it's because coming down the road, they've envisioned things in the future, five to 10 years from now. But I think companies are really trying to get ahead of that legislation. So politics are going to be critically important for it, but companies are trying to get ahead of those things and do the right thing now rather than be in a forced situation. Well, John, what do you think, if you were talking to our listeners who are interested in actually starting on their circular economy journey, what advice would you give them? The first thing I'd do is start with what kind of questions your customers are asking. Because I have to admit, that's how we started at Interface. That's what, what galvanized us making decisions. But then it's just taking an open mind. Stay, take a step back from your day-to-day operations and your inbox that day. And step, take some time to go, well, when I think about the circular economy and I think about my product and my service, what's happening in the world? How can I step back? How can I be curious? How can I go and talk to the people that criticize my product or service? How can I go and talk to the engineers or the scientists that might point me in the right direction i think it's that willingness to 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 stop and to be vulnerable and to ask what is my place that i need to play as a company within this with my customers my suppliers my investors yeah you have to have that little moment to to take a higher view and yeah that's what i think is a start point for everyone and once you start getting a few of those pieces together that's what will help you Kind of choose a choose the right path. The the next step of that is just once you're roughly where you stand, continuing with those discussions, working out who you might collaborate with. Who's in the same boat as you and having an open mind. And I guess it's a bit of a we normally talk about a growth mindset in relation to personal development. But I think there needs to be a very similar circular growth mindset by every company about seeing where you are, seeing in relation to circularity, seeing how you can and realizing that every step you take in that direction is going to be a positive one. But you're probably going to have to make quite a few steps quickly. We're going to hit the goals of the pledges that have been announced. Those are wise wise words to look at your critics and ask them how you can improve. All right. What kind of final thoughts would you guys like to leave? Let's start with Courtney. What kind of final thoughts would you like to leave our listeners with today? I think just building on what John was mentioning, for me, this is about finding value in waste stream. So being really innovative and thinking outside of the box when it comes to how you're designing your products from start to finish with that more circular view in mind. And questioning every ingredient with your existing product range, every single ingredient. Do I really need that ingredient? How is it functioning in the product? Do I really need that packaged that way? Can it be a different formulation? And just really question everything. What about you, Lindsay? What kind of final thoughts do you want to leave our uh, listeners with today? I, I couldn't agree with Courtney more. For, from an industry perspective, we're designing out waste and pollution. We need to help keep the products and materials in use as much as possible. We need to regenerate the natural systems that we take from. 
But I would also add to that keeping the consumer awareness. So creating this, you know, impetus for why to change or why to buy something that's in a different package than you're used to seeing or why to buy something that's in a different formulation to see in order to create the consumer demand and consumer awareness or why they should make different things and keep things convenient for those consumers. So really doing all the right things, creating awareness about those right things, making them convenient for consumers to be able to use is how I think we're going to move the needle to bring the consumers through the value network with us in this journey to the circular economy. John, final thoughts? One of the things I like about circularity is you can make it very personal. So I can, when we talk about it with employees and some of our customers at Interface, they'll talk about how one of their kids has been ragging on them or complaining to them about how they're not recycling enough. But they also say, oh, the older kids are not even thinking about it at all. So that family discussion that you can have can help. And I think being able to relate those personal experiences of circularity that personal experience of waste. The last time I was in New York, I walked past like some trash bags that were nearly as high as a three-story building in the UK, just stacked with waste plastic. And just finding those stories and moments that connect with you personally around circularity mean that when you're addressing your board or when you're addressing like an innovation forum or certain other companies, there's a passion and a fire because it's personal. And for Ray Anson, who was our founder, like he was always, his passion and fire was, he was contributing to a wasteful world that his grandchildren and his children's children were going to live. We're all doing that. The circular economy is more than just a buzzword. It's a practice doctrine for a sustainable future. The combination of eco-conscious ethos and smart business management will prove in time to be a core strategy for more and more businesses. And from that conversation, it's obvious the time to become circular is now. I'd like to take a moment to thank all of today's guests, Courtney, Lindsay, and John, for sharing their insights and expertise. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Future Sight, a show from Capgemini Invent. We'll see you soon. Thank you.